This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Thank you, Julie Mills, our new Patreon supporter. We appreciate it. If you would like to donate, head on over to patreon.com slash ohiomysteries. You can also go to our website where the Patreon button and the PayPal button is. That's ohiomysteries.com. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is your 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us, as always, our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Tonight's story involves 18th century Chillicothe. And I don't want to confuse you, but this is not the Chillicothe you would find on a modern map. That Chillicothe is in Ross County. It was the first capital of the state. But to the native Shawnee Indians who lived here, the village name of Chillicothe moved from one location to another. It was their capital, and it went where their leader went. The word means principal town. So if the chief died and the new chief was in another settlement, that town became Chillicothe. There are numerous Chillicothe Indian villages in the historic record for this reason. And this is probably why it has been so hard for treasure hunters to pin down the location of the mythical Ohio silver mines of the Shawnee. Oh, they had silver, all right. People who wrote about meeting them centuries ago always commented about what a handsome people they were how they were adorned in handcrafted silver accessories from armbands to amulets, and how they had silver items about their village. Those early travelers shared something else, that the silver mines they kept secret were worked by early pioneers who were kidnapped and forced into slave labor. So, for our story tonight, We are going not to Ross County, but to Greene County. That's west of Dayton and home to Xenia and Yellow Springs. Because there was a Chillicothe there. It's in Xenia Township, a hamlet the locals call Old Town. And back in the 1700s, this was the most significant village of the Shawnee. In our story, we'll be calling this location Old Chillicothe. Old Chillicothe is mostly open fields now, though its history alone was enough to earn it a place on the National Register of Historic Places. About 1,100 Shawnee lived here in the late 1700s, not in teepees, 
but in log structures that they skillfully created with nothing more than tomahawks and thin strips of bark to bind it together. Their war chief, Blackfish, would conduct raids trying to drive out the American settlers. Daniel Boone, the famous frontiersman, he was captured and taken there. It was at Old Chillicothe where he earned their respect and was adopted into the tribe. And then there was Simon Kenton, another frontiersman and soldier, who was made an honorary Shawnee after surviving a gauntlet and ritual torture. Some oral tradition has suggested the great chief Tecumseh was born in Old Chillicothe. The town was also famous because four times between 1779 and 1790, the army drove the Shawnee away from the town, sometimes burning the village to the ground. Each of the first three times, the Shawnee came back and rebuilt their town. They only abandoned it the fourth time for good because that's when the Treaty of Greenville was signed. One can only wonder if they kept insisting on going back to Greene County because of the silver. Here's what we learned about the silver mines from the 1917 Ohio Archaeological and Historical Quarterly. There was an article that year from a man named Roy King. He was a professor at the University of Arizona in Tucson. His father, William Harrison King, was born and raised in Greene County and a descendant from the original settler who moved onto the property right after the Indians left for a final time. The elder William grew up playing around features that he later believed to be the remains of the Shawnee excavations, and he told his son the stories that had been handed down to him. Native American tribes kidnapped settlers for a number of reasons. They were far outnumbered by the white man that was pushing west, and kidnapping women and children and adopting them into their tribes was a way for them to increase their population faster. In Old Chillicothe, they also had a use for the men, men who later described what it was after they were freed or had escaped. They said they would be woken early in the morning and blindfolded, then marched up a trail along Massey's Creek for a distance they estimated between three and three and a half miles east of the village. Massey's Creek is still there today, by the way. They would then be sat down and left there under guard for half a day while some of their captors departed. When the departed Indians returned, they brought with them material in bundles that the prisoners were compelled to carry back to Old Chillicothe. The packages were much heavier than their size would have suggested. One prisoner, his name lost to history, said he was able to remove the blindfold over his eyes just enough that he didn't think any of the Indians had left camp at all. He thought they had used a very clever decoy. They had only appeared to have left so that the prisoners would think they had traveled quite a distance and come back. Instead, he believed they were at the site of the actual mine, and the captors just didn't want them to know it. This same prisoner 
said he was able to see what was in those packs being wrapped and that they were silver-bearing ore. Other stories were added to this legend over the years. Remember when I said the town was attacked four times? One time, it was burned down by General George Rogers Clark. The Shawnee fled, but it is said they first sunk packs and pelts full of silver into the marshlands so the army couldn't get their hands on it. It was said people went back and tried looking for this treasure, but could never find it. Then there was this story. After the signing of the Greenville Treaty in 1795, the Shawnee were given a reservation of land around what would later become Wapakoneta in Auglaize County. By 1820, there were close to 600 Shawnee living on the Auglaize Reservation. But for many years after that, small parties of them would return every summer to Greene County. They would stop to camp in the Glen at Yellow Springs, which is now part of the campus of Antioch College. Then they would continue to their former capital of Old Chillicothe. Was this annual pilgrimage an effort to recover some of their buried silver? Now, I told you the author of that 1917 article in the archaeological publication, Roy King, said his dad played around what he believed were silver mine excavations. Here's more on that. Roy's ancestor, Vincent King, lived on the land in the early 1800s, and he decided to put a flour mill on it. And as he dug a race a short distance from the bed of Massey's Creek, he found some small flat stones that had engravings on them, like hieroglyphics. He didn't give it much mind, but others thought they knew what he'd found. Some men asked to look in the area of where these marked rocks were, and they found an unnatural feature. There were two round holes, about 12 feet in diameter, which appeared to have been dug out and then filled with rocks. The men sunk deep holes just to the sides of these circles. They wanted to make sure these rocks weren't a natural geological feature. And when all they found was plain soil, they knew those holes were man-made. They figured the stones with the hieroglyphics were simply marking the entrance to the mines. They had no luck finding silver, but that story didn't stop other people from trying. In 1934, a man named William Galloway wrote about his exploration of the place back when he was a student at Antioch College. That was in the 1890s. He said he had become very curious about the myth of the mines after speaking with Gordon Neff, whose family owned the property. Neff had excavated one of the holes and found an opening framed with rough retaining logs. But floods had put the bottom of the shaft beneath the water so he could go no further. So that fall, we're talking the 1890s, Galloway went to explore the area himself. And after a small blast to open up a crevice, he discovered a half-inch vein that offered a small bead of silver, which he confirmed through a laboratory in Cincinnati. 
There is a lot of circumstantial evidence that the Shawnee did indeed have and work a silver mine in Ohio in the 18th century. And there is logic to the idea that when they were forced to leave Old Chillicothe, they couldn't easily transport bars of silver with them and left them behind in the hopes that they could send agents to collect them over the years. But if the treasure is still out there, whether in a mine or buried at the bottom of a swamp, well, that is still a mystery. And that's it for our 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio Mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. May all of your mysteries have happy endings. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.